Amen. Everybody good tonight? Let's stand together, can we? Um, we're just going to have a prayer. And, and um, a guy came up to me in, in the altar oh, a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago. And um, I didn't know who he was. And he said, I want to thank you for visiting me in prison. And I thought, uh-oh. I have no memory of it. Am I having my first senior moment? Because <laughs> I'm sitting here searching. When did I go to? <laughs> when was I in prison and visited you? <laughs> you know, quoting Jesus. And um, I couldn't think. I couldn't. So I said, well, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I said, if you don't mind me asking, how did I visit you? Or when did I visit you in prison? And he said, oh, by your notes. I said, praise the Lord. I was wondering, did I get transported? And I didn't know it and preached and whatever. He said, we were getting your notes every week, the notes that I type out. And uh, he said, I started a Bible study with those notes. And he said, your notes every week carried me through prison. Isn't that great? So it's good to know I'm still remembering everything that I do. And I, I know that we're here tonight. So we're going to pray over the word of God. Then we're going to get into the book of Genesis where the beginning began. How many of you are enjoying this series? Isn't it good? It's good stuff. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your blessing tonight. And Lord, how we need you to open up your word to us because Lord, we, we know we're coming to the word of God. And Lord, it being the word of God, it renews us, it transforms us, it changes us, it erases old ways of thinking and replaces them with new ways of thinking. And Lord, right now we're asking you to give us a biblical worldview to shape our minds and shape our thinking according to the will of God so that we see everything through the lens of the scriptures. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Can you breathe a prayer, Lord? Uh, breathe a prayer and just say, Lord, help me tonight to understand the word. And thank you for changing me in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. It's going to be good tonight. Amen. Well, tonight we're talking about the worst moment in the history of humankind. And doesn't that sound like an upbeat message? Um, but we're going to be talking about the great fall. Now, I told you that Genesis 1 through 11, first 11 chapters, uh, contain four epical events. Let's see if we can say them together. Creation, the fall, the flood, the tower. All of those were history-shaping, defining moments in the history of mankind. Hugely defining, okay? Now, I think creation is the greatest of the four because what an amazing thing God did in six days. Right? Six 24-hour periods, God did all this. But what we're going to look at tonight, even a lot of Christians don't understand. And um, there's, there's a lot of contrary stuff out there that will say that um, we didn't fall with Adam. I was listening to somebody on the radio just the other day as a Jewish gentleman. And um, he was saying, no, in Judaism, we don't believe that when man fell, uh, or that when Adam and Eve fell, that all of men afterwards, all of us, that our nature fell with him. In other words, we weren't born with a fallen nature. All right, this was Judaism. And Judaism is still being taught. And of course, that's 
under Moses. That's Old Covenant, Old Testament. And uh, so they don't believe that. Well, we're going to see tonight that that is indeed what happened. So last time we studied the creation of man. God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. Hey, guys, we came from dirt. Amen. And Eve came from a rib in Adam's side. Really personal, right? We also noted that chapter two of Genesis does not contradict chapter one. Don't let anybody tell you that it does because there's people that have walked away from the Bible because of those two chapters and they never should have because chapter one is the chronological account of creation. Day one, God did this, day two, and so on and so forth. But chapter two is a narrative that focuses exclusively on the creation of man. Goes into way greater detail. And that's what chapter two is all about. But the two do not contradict. Not anywhere. So, the creation uh, of everything is the first of the four epical events. And um, tonight, we're going to look at the second one. And that is the fall of man into sin. I really do believe in a Garden of Eden. I believe there was an Adam and I believe there was an Eve. There had to be a first human. And I know your question, did Adam and Eve have navels? No. (laughs) All right. Some of you, you never thought about that. No, they didn't. They were created. Um, But chapter three breaks down like this. Are you ready? Verses 1 through 5 describe Eve's seduction by the devil. Verses 6 through 7 describe the fall itself. Verses 8 through 13 describe the reckoning. Adam and Eve's sin is exposed. God confronts them. There's a reckoning. Verses 14 and 19 spell out the consequences. Everybody say with me, there's always consequences. Amen. Payday someday, as the preachers used to say. Verses 20 to 24 describe their banishment from Eden, all right? So 24 verses in the chapter, we're going to do it tonight. So let's begin with Eve's seduction. Genesis 3, verse 1, for the first time, we meet the devil. This is the first time that we become aware of Satan, is in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to who? The woman. Has God indeed said, now notice everybody, what's he attacking? The word of God. Immediately. I ask you tonight, has he changed? No. He's going to say to you and to me, has God indeed said you shouldn't party hardy? Has God indeed said you should not commit fornication or adultery? Has God indeed said, or is this open to discussion? All right? So that's the idea. He's attacking the word of God. Did God say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now the woman answers the serpent. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Wait a minute, Eve. God didn't say anything about not touching it. He just said, don't eat it. So she's adding to the word of God. So can we note She didn't really know fully as well as she should have the word of God. And it opened her up to an attack. She said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. 
For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You, Eve, will be a little God. We still hear any of that today? Oh, yeah, there's very well-known teachers out there all over television and radio who say that Christians are little gods, that we're little gods. No, we're not. We're not. I'll, I'll say to you what I believe about me. I'm nothing but saved by grace. And whatever I am, I am by the grace of God. What I am, I am what I am by the grace of God. And what I'm not yet, God's grace just hasn't worked in me yet. All right? So here's the devil attacking her. I mean, he's really coming at her. And I want you to know that it's in the realm of her thoughts. He's bringing her into a debate. He's bringing her into a, a, a sparring verbally. He's attacking her beliefs. And he's attacking her concept of God. He's not out for your good. He's hiding from you. He's holding things back from you, Eve. He's cheating you. He doesn't want you to have any fun. He doesn't want you enjoying life. He wants you to be one of these Bible-thumping, suit-wearing, straight-laced, bored and boring Christians that just go to church all the time. He doesn't want you to enjoy life. He's a, he's a killjoy. He's a, he's a party pooper, this God. So he's attacking her belief that God had his best in mind for her. He hadn't changed. Now I want to make some quick observations from these first five verses. One, we really don't know how long the first couple had been in the paradise of Eden when this satanic attack took place. We don't know how long they've been there. All right? They may have been there a week, a month, a couple of years. We don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. Just that they were there. So it could have been a while. Now, I personally believe it probably was at least a little while because of Satan's character and the way he attacks. You see, he sizes us up. So how do you know that, Jeff? Because of what Peter told us about him. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour eat alive, hunting for his next kill. So, so what's he looking for? He's studying the, 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 um, he's studying things. He's studying uh, a lion looks at a herd, like say of gazelle, and he waits for one to drop back. He's very patient. He waits for one to drop back and get away from the herd. And, and then he focuses on that one and he goes after that one. He waits for that weak one. And wolves do the same thing, and so do coyotes. Most predators do the same thing. They know they can't attack the herd. The herd will stomp them. So they wait for the weak one. So Peter said, Satan is like that. So he's he's sizing up the situation. And he waits for the easiest kill. I'm just telling you the truth about him. So I think... A little bit of time had elapsed and Satan was studying the first couple. And we note that he went after her when she was separated from Adam. She waited for the most vulnerable moment 
when her covering was nowhere around. And he could get to her alone and get into her thoughts. So I believe he had maybe studied their coming and going and had known, you know, she has a way of getting away from him at this time. So I'm going to hit while the hitting's good. And I think that's what he did. So Eve may have had a lot of time to get acquainted with the creatures of God's creation, including serpents. The sight of a serpent talking was extraordinarily interesting to her and it grabbed her attention. She's like, what's this? A serpent's talking to me. Now, most of us, we would look for the nearest exit door and we'd be gone. But this was before the fall. All right, so there's no fear. There's no fear. Because fear is a result of the fall. There's no fear. So she's, she's intrigued. The devil is stupid in that he thought he could overthrow God. But you've got to remember he's a fallen archangel. And he's infinitely more powerful than you and me left to ourselves. And with the first couple, this was his first attack on human beings. With us, he's had thousands of years to hone his skill. Two, the attack came when she was near the forbidden tree. Notice this. She was near what had been forbidden. It says Satan used the nearness of the tree to make her look at it. So look at that tree. Doesn't it look good to eat? Isn't it good? Isn't that a good looking tree? And so her nearness to it helped set her up for the fall. Now I'm going to make an application. So often my mistake and your mistake is we allow ourselves to get too close to the scene of temptation. I really believe 80% of victory over temptation is avoiding the scene of temptation. Are you with me? Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you've had struggles with alcohol, you don't go into a liquor store to get a pack of gum. In other words, you know, the old saying, know thyself. I, I think every Christian ought to know, because let me tell you, Satan knows where he had you, how he had you, the, the, the progress he had made in your life to, to destroy you, he knows it. And so he's going to come after where you were weak before. Can we be honest tonight? He's not going to waste his time with, with a, uh, an area that you've always been strong. He's going to come at you where you were always weak. He's going to hit it. So it, it's, it, it, it's uh, very wise for you and me to avoid what we know is going to make us stumble. Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Now, he's metaphorically speaking. Please don't do that. Don't come to me next week. Pastor Jeff, well, you know. Oh, I would faint on the spot. Don't do that. Jesus is making a, 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 an application. He, he was saying, look, he said, you getting the victory over sin is, is more important than your hand. More important than your eye. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. It, because better that you go uh, one-eyed into heaven than two-eyed into hell. So avoid the scene of temptation. Eve 
Satan waited. He waited till she was near it. And that's when he approached and said, look at that tree. So it's a setup. Third, her temptation came, as I've already pointed out, when she was alone. She was alone. Do you know that sometimes our very worst temptations get a grip on us when we're alone? That's why these people say, oh, you know, I used to go to church. I don't go to church anymore. I'm solid. I walk with Jesus. I don't need the church. I just, you know, I go to church, sitting home watching Joel Osteen for 30 minutes and I'm good. Or whoever. And I say, really? So you know more than the word of God, which says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is, but uh, keep coming together and so much the more as you see the day approaching so that you can encourage one another and exhort one another because we need one another, especially in days of tribulation and trial. Okay. And, and we need other, other Christians for accountability and support. Uh, this is one reason God gave the church because he knew we're not going to win near as well alone. Right? So let me ask you tonight, who can you call and say, man, I'm really, really battling looking at porn. I'm really, I'm really struggling with being pulled to alcohol. Uh, man, I just, there is this person I've been seeing and, and we've, we've been really tempted to become intimate and we're not married and I'm really struggling. Please help me because there's all kinds of things going through my mind, justifications and whatnot. Who do you have that you can call who won't judge you, won't reject you, won't throw you into the street, but who will say, you know what? I hear you and we're going to pray. That's why we have man church. Right? That's why we have uh, kingdom women. That's why we have kingdom men. Because we know we're not going to win this battle alone. Not going to do it. We're not going to do it. I have accountability partners that I've had for years. I can tell them anything. And they will not judge me, throw me into the street, or go, you got to be kidding me. None of that. Because we all battle. Can we get the halo off our head for a minute? We all battle all of us and 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 so um if any man is overtaken in a fault galatians 6 1 says if any man is overtaken in a fault let him who is spiritual go to such a one and restore such a one all right so we're not to be condemners we're to be restorers and helpers of one another because when we cross that finish line, folks, it's going to be holding other Christians' hands. We're going to be running through it together, not alone. God doesn't create islands. He creates bridges. You are not a, a, an island by yourself. You're a bridge. All right? The fourth thing I notice here is she allowed Satan to gain the advantage by talking to him. All right? Right out of the chute, it was obvious what he was after. He starts running God down immediately. He starts attacking the word of God immediately. The first thing out of his mouth was designed to make her doubt God's word. She should have immediately, right then and there, said, I got your number. I know who you are. You may be kind of uh, um, mesmerizing and, and captivating, but I'm done because you're immediately attacking the word of my maker. 
She should have walked right then, but she didn't. She entered conversation with him. And that's what the devil wants. He wants a good debate. You know what? He'll win a debate unless you quote the word of God to him. He'll win a debate. He's smarter than you, smarter than me. But he he can't win when you quote the word of God. But she entered into conversation. Well, no, you know, God said that I can't touch it and this and that. And, uh, but he, but God, you don't understand. He's holding from you Eve. And she listened to him. She sat there and gave him an audience. We note also that Eve, as I pointed out, was not clear on God's word. It's just a little example in microcosm of how it is for us, how important it is to be clear on what God has said. Because even with one sentence, that's all that they had to remember. Oh, I would love that. Give me one verse that I can whoop the devil with every time. But we've got a whole Bible of 66 books. But all they had to remember was one thing. And she got that messed up. So Satan went from there realizing, well, she's not even clear on the word. He kept it up then. And he attacked her contentment. He convinced her that God was holding back. Now she was in paradise. But he convinced her, he, can, he convinces Eve, uh, you don't have everything that God could really give you. He's holding back from you. Eve, you've been cheated by God. He's lied to you. Um, <clears throat> he's misled you. He hasn't told you the whole story, Eve, but I'm here to let you in on what God is really doing. What he's really doing is he doesn't want you to be like him. He knows if you eat of that tree, see that tree right there, Eve? Look at it, look at it, look at it. He wants you to not eat it because he knows when you eat that beautiful tree, the fruit of it, you're going to be like him. He wants no competitors. Eve's sitting there thinking, wow, I didn't know God was holding back from me. I thought he was out for my very best. You think the devil changes at all? How often has the thought occurred to you, well, where's God? Where's God in this trial? Why did God let this happen? Why didn't God stop this or that? And here comes the enemy right behind it. Wanting you to doubt the goodness of God, the care of God for you. There's nothing new. He has no new bag of tricks. He just repackages them and reuses them. And so... Here she is, she's thinking, well, he's holding back from me. I don't have everything that I should have. I'm no longer content. And then the devil went all the way and said, he's outright lied to you. You will not die. That's a lie to keep you away from really getting so much more. So discontent with her lot in life. You know, discontentment, you got to watch out for it. The minute you get discontent, you're open for a temptation. Doubting God's goodness toward her. She's doubting it now. And she's convinced that God's warning of death was a lie. So she ate. Verse 6, so when the woman saw the tree was good. Now look, she's looking at the tree. She's not looking up. She's not looking at Adam. She's looking at the tree. When she saw that the tree was good for food. So saw, lust of the eyes. Food, lust of the flesh. That it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, the boastful pride of life. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life. 
everything James lists as what comprises this world. All right? So lust the eyes, lust the flesh, pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And there's no way that we can comprehend the massive repercussions of what happened when they ate of that forbidden fruit. You can't measure it. You can't comprehend it. Uh, the, the, The fall, it rippled out from them like the effect of a rock being dropped into a still calm pond. It sent ripples throughout the whole thing. It touched every area of the bank of life and of the world. Now, let me tell you what it did do. And this is why it matters. Their sin infected everyone. Okay? Paul the Apostle writes, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. How much of the race? All of it. The entire human race, sin entered. All right? Sin entered. His sin spread death throughout all the world so that everything began to grow old and die for all sinned. For all did what? All sinned. It's not just saying we inherited sin, but we all sinned. Now, why did we all sin? Because we inherited a sin nature. If we hadn't inherited a sin nature, we would not sin. Sinners are as sinners do. So clearly, Paul is making the case here. Adam, when he sinned, it spread death to the whole world so that everything began to age. Thanks, Adam. And die, why? Because all actively sinned. And we sinned because we were born, as David said, I was born in sin, I was shaped in iniquity. Okay? Second thing is their sin affected the whole creation, not just human beings, but the whole creation. Romans eight twenty two. for we know that even the things of nature, like animals and plants, suffer grown in sickness and in death. That breaks my heart. Because we've already seen that God intended for everything he created to be herbivores, to eat plants, to live on plants. But after the fall, carnivorous activity began. And animals began to attack animals and eat one another and shred one another and destroy one another and hunt one another. And all of that was the result of the fall. The whole creation, uh, the, the New King James or the King James says, the whole creation groaneth, awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. In other words, <clears throat> they're, they're waiting for the return of Christ and, and the setting of the, of the millennial kingdom because then and only then will things be returned back to the condition of paradise before the fall. Because the, the lion will lay down with the lamb. And there will be no more war. And there will be no more attack creature upon creature and species upon species. And peace will rule again. But until then, the whole creation is hurting. The whole creation is aging. The whole creation is suffering. And sin did that. It was cataclysmic. It was huge. It was all-encompassing. It was tragic. 
Next, we have the reckoning. Okay, they ate of the forbidden fruit. They've fallen now. But now we got the reckoning because we see that any and every sin requires a reckoning with God. You sin, you're going to have to deal with it with God. I sin, I'm going to have to deal with it with God. We say something, think something, do something, cop an attitude we shouldn't have. We're going to have to take it to God and get it under the blood because every sin must be answered. Are you with me? Because God's holy and he created a holy universe at first. Sin is just like a, like, like a skunk just went off. And, and it, it, sin spoiled everything, ruined everything. And so even now, if we sin, we've got to take it to Christ or we will answer for it at the judgment. But it will be answered one way or the other. Look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I just picture them hiding. How do you hide from God in the midst of a bunch of trees? It was the best they had. Now, here we've got the first consequence of sin. Here's the very first consequence. Broken relationship with God. Broken fellowship with God. The minute you or I sin as believers, till we get it right, broken fellowship. We get grieved. We say, ah, eh, shouldn't have said that, done that, thought that, whatever. I got to get this right because I'm grieved until I do. And as soon as you do, fellowship's restored. Amen? But there they are hiding. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Where are you? Now I want you to see that first, God is seeking out the sinner. He doesn't leave them in their lostness. He doesn't leave them to perish. He doesn't leave them to the devil. But God immediately goes searching for, hunting for, seeking out the fallen, the sinner. Aren't you glad he's that way? Because he could have said, well, you know, I told you not to eat of it. Yeah, give the Lord. That's good. He could have said, well, I told you not to do it. And you did it. And you're on your own. You know, go to Hades. You made your choice. You made your bed. Now lie in it. See you later. I'll go create somebody else. He could have said that. But no, our Heavenly Father, notice, he's always been the same. He went seeking out the sinner. He went searching for the sinner. And he knew exactly where they were. He didn't mean, tell me where you are. I can't find you. He knew exactly where they were. He was seeking to draw out a confession from them. He wanted them to confess, right? He wanted them to own up to their sin. So where are you? Where are you? Come on, come out and and tell me what you did so that we can get it fixed. And the entire lost human race, God is asking them the same question. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you hiding? Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding from me? Jesus said, um, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's us, lost. And he came to look for us. And how many of you can say, I was in, I was in a hiding place and he found me. All right. But what did he want from you and me when he, when we really heard his voice and realized, uh, man, God is calling my name. 
He wanted us to come clean. He wanted us to repent. He wanted us to confess. And this is what he wanted from Adam and Eve. Thank God he didn't just walk away and leave them to themselves because they would have perished. They would have perished. So here comes Adam. Adam's the first to speak. I guess he's talking from behind a bush or a tree. He says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, this hit me. Adam is attributing his hiding from God to the wrong thing. He's not hiding because he was naked. He's hiding because he sinned. That's why he's hiding. But, but he's misdiagnosing himself. He's saying, no, 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 I, I'm hiding because I'm naked. No, no. And, 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 and uh, no, it was the wrong thing. That's not why I'm hiding. That's not why I'm running from you. That's not why I don't want to be confronted by you. And very often, I've done this, and I've seen so many people do this through the years that I preach the gospel. We make the wrong diagnosis as to why we're hiding from God. I just don't have time for a religion, somebody will say. I just don't have time. Someday when the kids are raised and the bills are paid and I've got my 401k and I'm getting on in years and I know that I'm soon going to die, then I'm going to make things right. But until then, and we make this excuse and we hide behind that excuse and we misdiagnose ourselves. I'm not saying all that because I really want the time and I don't want God. I'm saying all that because I don't want to admit my sin. Jesus said, this is the condemnation that light came into the world and men love darkness more than the light. Okay? Or I'm not sure I believe in him. You know, we hide behind that. And we misdiagnose why we won't have anything to do with God. But we're not being honest with ourselves. You're the worst person you can deceive is you. The worst person to lie to is yourself. Right? And we do it all the time. We lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. We, we lie to ourselves. And, and um, I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. And people that don't come to Christ, they're lying to themselves so often. You know, I'm just not sure I believe in him. But that's not true. Because Paul says that God has revealed himself to every human heart. Can I read it to you? Romans 1.19. What may be known about God is plain to them. Who's the them? Those that are suppressing the truth. Uh, what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. He's made the reality of himself plain to every human being. By what he has made and by their conscience. So God then responds to Adam. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, you notice what God's doing here. He's pressing the point. He's not willing to allow Adam to get by with an excuse or a dodge. All right, that's what he's doing. He's pressing the point. By asking the question, who told you that you were naked? God is forcing him to admit what caused it. He had broken God's command. God won't let us. Listen, have, have you ever had God press you about something? And, and, and you even rebuked the devil to get away from you. And it was God pressing you. I want you to deal with this. I want you to admit this. I want you to, to look at this. I want you to change this. I, I, I want you to hear me on this. And, and we'll make excuses and we'll duck and dodge. And God will finally press the point till we finally are cornered 
we have to say, okay, you're right. I got a temper. You're right. Um, you know, I've been kind of slacking in my devotional. You're right. You know, I've gotten out of church. It's been a while. You're right. I had a woman come up, um, I think it was last Sunday. And I recognized her immediately. Uh, but I also knew I haven't seen her in a long time. And I said, wow, good to see you. It's been a while. She said, it's been a real while. And I said, well, how long a while? She said, it's been about 13 years. I said, you've been out of church for 13 years? Well, I've been watching a little bit of TV. And she said, but God wouldn't leave me alone. He pressed the point. Finally, I gave in. Because you know, that old song, I fought the law and the law won. It's even worse with God. You fight God, God's always going to win, right? So, but Adam's not done ducking and dodging. Look at what he does. Instead of owning his sin, Adam plays the original marital blame game. He says, then the man said, the woman. And I think he points to her. The woman you gave to me, she gave me of the tree. And I ate. It's her fault. But not just her fault, your fault, God, because you gave her to me. Do you, do you hear it here? The woman whom you gave me, I'd be fine if you hadn't given me this woman. I'd be just fine if you had not given me this woman. I was doing great, naming all the animals, living alone, the bachelor life, going where I wanted, doing what I wanted. Now you give me this woman and she's the one that made me do this. Come on now. This is real. This is the original marital blame game. It's Eve's fault. And it's your fault, God, but God will not let him get away with this. We're going to see that he doesn't blame Eve for Adam's fall because consequences are going to fall on both of them. So God doesn't accept it if you pass the buck. The buck stops with you and me, with our own sin. Not somebody else's, but our own sin. We did it, and God's not going to let you pass the blame. All right. Now, let's remember here what the Apostle Paul says about the fall. Paul says this, it was not Adam who, who was deceived by Satan. I'm reading the Bible, 1 Timothy 2.14. It was not Adam who was deceived by Satan in the fall. The woman was deceived and sin was the result. Satan attacked the more vulnerable of the two when she was alone near the source of stumbling. Eve was deceived while Adam ate with eyes wide open. Eve believed she was doing it because the devil was right. Adam knew the devil wasn't right. So you got to ask yourself, why did he do it? Why? Adam, come on, talk to me. Why did you do this? I mean, you knew she was wrong. You knew she was deceived. Why didn't you say, hey, you're deceived? You know why? Because she'd already eaten. So here's what I think. He didn't want to lose his woman. That's what I think. Because he said, if she eats and I don't, she's going to experience whatever punishment God's going to divvy out. And she's going to die and I'm going to be left, are you ready, alone. I don't want to be alone. So if she's going down, I'm going down with her. 
That's, there's no other explanation. How many times people choose someone that they're attached to over God? This is why Jesus said, if you don't love your father, mother, husband, wife, children, and all the rest more than me, you're not worthy of me. Because the devil will use someone closest to you. Sometimes, not sometimes people are really good for you, but let me, let me give you a truth here. If the devil can't bring you down, he'll bring someone down whose defeat defeats you. If he can't defeat you, he'll defeat somebody whose defeat defeats you. Because the devil doesn't play fair. He goes right for your jugular vein. And there's nobody more jugular veinish than the person that you have become one with. And he'll get at you. And that's why it's a real responsibility between two people in a marriage or a, or a very, very close friendship. You gotta be careful that you're good for each other. You build each other up and that you don't, you don't um, bring them away from God. I, I've seen it. I've seen both. I've seen people... Get closer to God because they were with somebody that really walked with God tight. But I've also seen people say, well, you know, if I just go out with him for a while, I'll change him. And more times than not, uh uh-uh, he changes you. And you end up choosing a human over God. Because God said to the woman, he said, well, let's get to that. So this is what Paul said about the fall. Eve was deceived while Adam ate with his eyes wide open. So even so, the fact that she was deceived does not absolve her from her guilt. Because she let herself get deceived. Are y'all with me? She should have walked several times during this conversation with the devil, but she didn't. She let herself be deceived. So God confronts Eve for her own part in the fall. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. Now she's passing the buck. Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. Here we go again. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Everybody's passing the buck here. Adam is blaming Eve. Eve's blaming the devil. But God doesn't let any of them get away with it. But this is a tactic so many people use for their sin. If I didn't have such terrible parents and such a terrible upbringing, then I wouldn't have done the things that I did. If if my granddaddy hadn't been an alcoholic and then my daddy became an alcoholic, I wouldn't be an alcoholic. It's their fault. I'm under a generational curse. Um, if I hadn't been treated the way I was treated when I was a little kid, then uh, I wouldn't have grown up to be this hellion. But because of what happened to me back there, I'm doing this here. No. We all got to be responsible for our own stuff. And the the message of the word of God is, the message of the word of God is, no matter what happened back there, nobody has the control over your life to make you do something you don't want to do. God is in control. The Holy Ghost is in control. Not what they did to you back there. Because you can always pass the buck. You can always say, somebody made me do this and you'll never grow. You'll never grow up. If I hadn't hooked up with that bad crowd and started running with them, they're the ones that showed me all about dope and drinking and immorality and all of that. If I hadn't hooked up with them, they did it to me. They corrupted me. No, you got with the wrong crowd. 
God didn't buy their excuses. First, he turns to the devil. Here's what he said to the devil. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you're cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly, you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now, here comes the first prophecy in the whole Bible. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head, he, capital H, and you will bruise his heel. First Bible prophecy, it's messianic. God is saying, just on the heels of the fall, right there in the presence of the first fall and his sin, God gives the solution. Out of the seed of the woman is going to come one who's going to deal you, devil, a death blow. And you're going to bruise his heel. What happened on the cross? The spike was put through the heel of Jesus. So the very first prophecy right here and the very first messianic prophecy. So that's what the devil got. Then God turns to the woman and dispenses two judgments. To the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. Every woman in here say, I know that's right. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, the longing of a woman is to have children. Most, most women. God would not withhold that from the human race or there'd have been no human race. They would have died then and there. But he decrees that childbearing would be with much pain. Okay? So, it happened. Secondly, since she ate of the forbidden fruit, independently without consulting her husband, she and all women after her would be subject to the rule of their husband. That's what it says. Paul wrote, Ephesians 5.23, a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. So this is divine order. The husband is the head of the wife. That doesn't mean better than. It doesn't mean smarter than. It doesn't mean more gifted than. It doesn't mean to have more value than. It's divine order. That's all. The wife's position is to submit to the husband's leadership. But guess what, guys? That means we better be leading. The husband's call is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. I've never seen ever a husband love his wife like Christ loved the church and she has a problem submitting to him. What God didn't say here is she, she's your servant to boss around as you, as you please. That is not what God's saying here at all. It's not doormat theology. That's not it at all. It's just divine order. Because you got attacked and you got seduced by the devil alone, I'm going to put you under the covering of your husband, who if he's leading like he should be, he'll protect you. Finally, God turns to Adam. Then he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now, whereas the thing that mattered most to women was childbearing, what meant most to Adam was work. And that God touched both. All right? And so the ground had always cooperated for Adam. 
brought forth fruit, no, no muss, no fuss, beautiful fruit every time he sowed. But now there's going to be a change. Thorns and thistles, weeds are going to come up out of the ground that you didn't sow. And it's going to be way harder for you, Adam, to make a living. And you're going to work with the sweat of your brow. I guess, I guess labor before the fall was no sweat. Because now after the fall, sweat. All right? Amen. And then God says to him, and I'm going to close with this. Then God says, and guess what, Adam? From the dust you came to the dust you're going to return. In other words, contrary to what the devil told Eve, Adam, you're going to die. You're going back to the dust. And if you read the very next chapter, I believe it's the very next one, you start seeing so-and-so and -and -and so-and-so lived X number of years and died. And died and died and died. So you know what it shows? The devil's a liar. He's a liar. Let's stand together, can we? The devil's a liar every time. He's a liar every time. Amen. How many of you are so glad that God gave you a redeemer, gave us hope, gave us a chance? Amen. Gave us a way out. And how many of you see tonight that we are born with a nature that is inclined to sin? Yeah, that shouldn't be a shock to anybody here. Anybody ever teach you how to sin? When you were a little kid, now you knew how to do it really well, right? Let's lift our hands and thank God. Lord, we just thank you right now for the truth of your word. And when we see this, Lord, and see it through the lens of these verses, we, uh, the, the worldview it gives us makes so much sense. It explains the suffering, the disease, the heartache, the crime, the murder, the, the, just the pain of the human race. It, it, it makes sense. And so, Lord, thank you for giving us Jesus all the way back in Genesis 3.15. And he, in the fullness of time, came and died on the cross for our sin. We bless you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Let's sing a chorus, brother, and we'll go. Thank you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. Yes, Lord. So we pour out our praise. more time. It's your breath. Yes, Lord. In our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath. In our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Amen, amen, amen. 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 And next time, the flood. It really did happen. Amen. God bless the people as we go. Get us home safely. Lord, guide us and lead us. And thank you for a biblical worldview, for shaping our thinking, renewing our minds, and transforming us. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for coming.